0: I would say that if there's one thing, one thing I want everybody to take away from this is this idea of identifying obstacles.
1: You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Wednesday, and in these episodes, Sangram and I focus on personal development. We'll share books and other resources that are helping us get a little bit better Every single day. Here we go. Welcome back to the Flip My Funnel podcast. My name is James Carberry. I'm joined as always by Sangram Vajray. And today we are going to be talking about uh, the second part in a four-part series that we're doing on Mark Binioff's book called Behind the Cloud. Sangram, how are you today, my man?
0: Oh, man. So it's exciting. Behind the Cloud is, as you have said before, one of my favorite, favorite books. It, it literally stays right next to my lamp. Even my wife sometimes asks, like, why do you love this <laughs> So much. And, uh, the, the Bible
1: yeah. and behind the cloud in a in, yeah. in a it's order,
0: pretty much. Right, the Bible <laughs> and uh, behind the cloud. Because <laughs> the reality, James, is that this book literally the way it's written. First of all, it almost feels like it's talking to you. So it's it's very simple English. It's not hyperbole of any sort. And on top of that, it's really playbook by playbook by playbook by playbook. So it really makes it easy for anybody who wants to just listen to or hear it on iTunes or read it. Oh, man, it's it's a book that's worth reading for everyone who's trying to lead or make a change, challenge the status quo. It's it's really good one.
1: I love it. So the focus of this episode, what we're going to be talking about today, is the importance of focusing on the 20% that makes 80% of the difference. Do you want to talk to us at a high level about what this is about? And then we're going to dive into three specific components that you pulled away from this particular lesson.
0: Totally, totally. So I think most people have heard about the 80-20 rule as we as we talked about before we started to record this. And and typically it is that, well, 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of the customers. Maybe people have heard that in that context. Maybe people have heard the context of saying that, all right, we'll focus on just 20% of the things. But, but the reality is in his point, and he has a big quote and he's talked about it at nauseum in the book is that, and, and I feel like the big part of his whole, a presentation around in, in this book is is this, if you feel you, you as an entrepreneur, you as a leader, you as someone who wants to make a difference as a person, you cannot be good at everything at the same time. Like, first of all, you cannot be good at everything, period. If you want to just use that as, as a singular statement that holds true by itself. But even top of that, you might get better at a couple of things. Maybe you got a better at events. Maybe you got a better at communication. Maybe you get better at content. Over a period of time, you could get a better a few things, but you definitely cannot get better at everything. And, and I think that's where he kind of lands this amazing quote around the fact that, well, focus on the 20%, but not any 20%. Guess what? What 20%? That's the first question. What 20% should I focus on? But focus on the 20% that makes 80% of the difference. And obviously, James, the question is, well, what is that 80%? How do wow. I figure out that 80%? And, you know, we, we're going to walk through the three things he said, but I, I'm, I'm curious, James, like, what is it the 20% that you think you need to focus on in your company to, to make that 80% yeah. of the difference?
1: Yes, for me, the thing that I've been thinking about a ton lately, as our business grew 300% last year. Now, obviously, we're we're a lot smaller than than a lot of companies, so growing 300% is is still incredible. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome. It's, not it's like, big, yeah. Uh, and the thing that I've been thinking about a ton is culture and and how we treat our people. And so we just actually had a leadership retreat last week and we flew our, our leadership team cuz we're a fully remote team we flew everybody here to Orlando and and the biggest thing that we wanted to get accomplished while everybody was under the same roof was nailing down our core values we we previously had seven core values but you know i as the person that wrote those didn't even couldn't even tell you all all seven of them and so we shrunk it down really following you guys as lead it, i i love that you guys have two core values and so we we got ours down to 3 and so having clarity around those values so that we can really begin to shape our culture around our heart and what our you know what we care most about so culture is that i've been reading a ton of books on it so that is that is i think where you know based on a lot of what i'm reading where the 20% that makes the 80% of the difference is is in your culture because if your people are bought into that then I think everything kind of flows from there but that yeah. that's where i'm focused
0: and, and and i love that because that is definitely one of the areas where mark focused on heavily and what's amazing is that in most companies things keep changing keep changing keep changing new guards come in replacing the old guards and and you know you need to refresh everything but the three things that have never changed and i'm witness of it because i don't you know, when I was at Salesforce for a couple of years with acquisition, I saw that. So it's, it's, it's a true thing. And i just, after reading a book, I actually was at Salesforce and I witnessed yeah. all of these things. The three things that, that stayed true was the, their mission, their culture, and their people, I, I, idea around people. His, all these things were staying true from being one of the mm-hmm. company's launch. So it's really interesting that you and I, as we mature our companies, we tend to start to reflect back and maybe modify and change as new people come in. But surprisingly or not, it never changed for Salesforce. It has mm. been the same. So, so
1: let's just walk through. Yeah, like, I love okay. it. So, so let's, let's talk through the mission. I guess, what is the Salesforce mission that they have been focused on since the very beginning?
0: Well, so Salesforce mission has always been around the idea that they wanted to be a customer success platform, be the number one at Salesforce, that CRM and empowering companies to connect with their customers in a whole new way. Like they've always talked about this idea, you will hear it that they always want to figure out a way to connect. And now connect meaning sales connect meaning marketing. Now connect means through their Force.com platform, where where now developers can create all of these things. Their customer success platform. So the idea for it is to empower companies to connect with their customers in a whole new way. That has always been part of their, their mission. But what's interesting is, and in this book, he outlines it over and over again. He was always asked by his investors, why do you spend more on marketing than any other company in your segment? And he would have the same answer to them is that, and that, this is so powerful. He's like, look, when we are a million dollar company, we want to act, talk and behave like a $10 million company. When we are a $10 million company, I want us to act, talk, and behave like a $100 million company. So in, in in a sense, what he wanted to always project on the future was that everybody at this company and everybody looking outside in this company, they need to look at us as a bigger brand than we are. They need to help hold us at a higher standard. We need to hold ourselves at a higher standard, which means our brand reputation, our brand building, our marketing, Needs to be amazing, better than anybody in their peer group. uh, Period. So, so he had his finances were always rocking the boat for these VCs that invested in Salesforce, saying that well, in based on so and so, if your revenue is X, then you should put six percent of your money should be in marketing. He's like, no, it's going to be twelve percent, and here is why. And he never backed down on
1: it. Mm, I love it. I love it. So the the next piece that he focused on was culture. Talk to us about the1 model.
0: Oh man, this is so powerful. Again, it was since the very beginning so that I think it's just incredible that that sticked and not only sticked for him, but I know there are hundreds of other companies who have adopted this one-one-one model, which is very simply dedicating one percent of the Salesforce equity, one percent of the Salesforce product that's for nonprofit, and then one percent of Salesforce employees time back to the community. Mm-hmm. So I think in aggregate they have given away millions of dollars, like millions, thousands and millions of hours. And again in equity percentage, I think it's in millions as well. But that idea of that one, one, one model, it was again very simply, as Andy Stanley would say, it's repeatable and portable yeah. and memorable. So people internally and externally had too much of a lot of lot of affinity with it. And and this idea, especially around the idea of one percent of the employees' t- time back into the community by making it as part of something that you measure internally and look at internally and actually brag about it internally that you're doing that. Uh, he saw that people found pur- purpose beyond mm. just working at a software company by helping whatever nonprofit they believed in, and by making sure that that is part of their measurement. I
1: think was was just genius. And something I'm learning about recently is the importance of how you name things. And, and because even, you know, if if you're going to be referring to something a lot, you have to, you know, if if it doesn't have a name that people can remember, it's just going to be confusing and it's going to be hard to, you know, it's harder to talk about. And so even as simple as kind of the one, one, one model, that is, that is a really simple and easy way to that for everyone in the organization to know, you know, what that means. 1% of Salesforce equity, 1% of Salesforce product, and 1% of Salesforce employees' time back to the community. It, it it makes a whole lot of sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. And you, even, you know, as you talked about core values and stuff, and you just shared uh, briefly about it, our one of our core values is one team. And that hashtag one team is in social media posts that that yep. goes up, but it's also... In the internal email, when we when we close an amazing deal, or somebody actually works for other team and that team says, Man, that's awesome. One team, marketing and sales, one team, like that kind of stuff just happens so naturally.
1: Yep. Yep. And and your other value keys, the Ferrari has the same kind of you know idea that the fact that I'm not even in your company and I can list off your two values, I think speaks to how well you guys named those. So so we've talked about mission, we've talked about culture. The third component that Benioff talked about was people. Can you, can you talk to us about this?
0: All right. So this was kind of crazy for me because when I heard it for the first time, I was like, V2 mom. Like, what is? Why would I have my mom kind of be part of this, this whole thing? I really did not get it. And I was like, what is this V2 mom thing? And when I read the book, but then again, I, when I worked at Salesforce, it was clear as, as day. So V2 mom stands for vision values, methods, obstacles, and measures, right? So vision, values, that's the V2. And the mom is for methods, obstacles, and measures. And what's interesting about this, James, is that he insisted on the point, and this is really important. I want everybody to really tune in for this one. He really insisted on the point that everyone in the company must have a vision for wherever they want to go. And that all ties back to, the obviously, to the the functional vision and also the vision from the executive team all the way to the vision that he has for the company. So he would do his vision statement, that cascades down to everybody, but then he still wants, you need to interpret the overall vision and figure out what is your vision of achieving that vision that we all as a company agreed to get to. What are your values that you're going to have and demonstrate to achieve that vision what methods are you going to apply? And then here, here's another big idea, which is, which we, I think I miss all the time and I think everybody misses all the time, is that figure out and think about what are the obstacles that you're going to face even before you get an embark on it. So let's say your goal is to, to launch A product Y by end of the year. If that's what you want to do, and the method is to hire two big teams of developments to do that, and then obstacle could be that I may not get hiring done right time. If I'm not done hiring by June, I cannot release this thing by December, right? So now all of a sudden you're putting these incredible KPIs for yourself to make sure that you get to that whatever the vision is, whatever the goal is sooner, and you're trying to get away, get rid of all the obstacles. So he made sure that everyone every year had a clarity around and voice the obstacles they could, they could identify and then obviously measure however you want to measure your success. So the idea of having vision for everybody and having obstacles for everybody, I think it created so much clarity for everybody.
1: Yep. Uh, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. So the focus of Mark Benioff, the, where he focused, you know, the majority of his energy was on mission, culture and people Sangram, is there any, uh, any challenge that you want to give to listeners today as we close out this episode?
0: I would say that if there's one thing, one thing I want everybody to take away from this is this idea of identifying obstacles. And and this might seem very much non-sexy way of thinking about stuff because we all want to be so, hooray, let's go big and do amazing things. I think we all do a really poor job of identifying what might go wrong. So, for example, if you are launching a book, right, you figure out a way of things like, well, what do you all need to do? What can go wrong in order to make sure you're not able to launch the book the right time or mm-hmm. the right way? And it, that might mean that you need to get recommendations from people way, way before you start working and now, not after the book is done. Maybe you need to get your pre-promotion and post-promotion launch plan done now, not after the book is done. A lot of times we just go after the goal and then we achieve that quote unquote goal. And then we just sit there figuring things out, which pretty much takes away the whole point of reaching reaching that goal. So whatever that is, just figure out what, what, what do you think are the obstacles that you might hit along the way? And how are you going to address this? Or at a minimum, know that so when you hit them, you know how to handle or move around it.
1: I love it. Sangram, this has been fantastic. I'm really excited for next week's episode. We're going to be talking about the importance of making customers feel at home. It is part three of the series on this book, Behind the Cloud by Mark Benioff. I'm super pumped about it. Sangram, I know that you are as well. I'm really looking forward to next week. Let's do it. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast.